Way too many first responders are struggling with their fitness, health, and body goals, but you're not alone in that fight. I'm Ted with Fit Responder and with 11 years experience in law enforcement, as well as being a fitness coach for over 15 years myself. I've created some free resources as well as one-to-one professional fitness coaching for first responders. So I want you to check us out, fitresponder.com, or look us up on Instagram at fit.responder. That's fit period responder. And let's see you there. Chat soon. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. The Poorly Made Police podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This podcast has explicit content and is meant for mature audience. The views expressed on this poorly made podcast reflect the opinions of the guest and host. They do not reflect the opinion of any department or entity. Nothing on this poorly made podcast should be construed as legal or marital advice. If something offends you, I kindly invite you to lighten the fuck up. If you want to support this very poorly made podcast, click the link at the end of the description and become a monthly sponsor of the podcast. Or buy yourself some nice poorly made police memes merch. Not only does it look good on you, it's also a favorite of wives, exes, children, nurses, nuns, IA investigators, defense attorneys, and the chief. And of course, take care of the fine sponsors of this podcast. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the orgasmic sound of a Crown Vic. Oh, hey there. Now joining the podcast, I have someone who's going to solve all of your problems if you're a shitty cop. She is a lawyer that defends cops. The legendary Kim joins the podcast. Kim, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. I I have to say, right before we hit record, she was saying she was nervous, which I'm like, how the fuck can you be nervous? You're a a lawyer. That makes no sense to me. Am I that (laughs) intimidating with my poor enunciation of words no it's just like i have all the legal stuff in my head but then trying to articulate it while i'm drinking is a little bit more difficult the courtroom would be amazing with alcohol would it not like you got like beer league softball why can't there be beer league uh court you know the the judicial system would be amazing like just just only on misdemeanors add a little wine to it the judge is a little fucked up you know maybe somebody's in there you know having a fucking edible or something. It would be a good time. Truth comes out when people are drinking. I don't disagree with you on that. It's, you know what they have in the movies, like the truth elixir. That's all alcohol is. That's you have some vodka. You're speaking the truth. <laughs> That's true. I agree with you. Speaking of the liquor, what are you having to drink tonight? I don't even know. How to, Swaza. How do you pronounce it? Saza. Samsonite. Some, <laughs> some agave cocktail. It's not good. Oh, it's not good? Well, that's disappointing. Not at all. But I'm going to drink it anyway. So you come to us to uh, educate us, but I'm going to treat you like everybody because I am going to ask you the same questions at the very very end. So I, I want people to be aware of that. But let me ask you, why, why did you get into the uh, legal game? What was your inspiration there? I don't even have an answer for that. It's so boring. Like I went to college and I had my history degree. And I mean, what do you do with a history degree but be a teacher? So I just kind of decided I wasn't done 
being a student and I didn't want to be a grown up. So I went to law school and here I am. Simple as that. Simple wow. as that. Yeah. How'd you end up defending cops? So my cousin's neighbor was a prosecutor out in Colorado here. And I sat down with him after law school to just kind of get a feel for what he did. And he offered me an unpaid internship and I took it and I fell in love with it. And now here I am 15 years later, still doing it. Okay. So you haven't, you know, you were never in like the DA's office or the public defender's office or anything like that. Yeah, I was, I was a prosecutor. Uh, that's how I got to know all the cops that I then decided to leave and represent them because they deserve good lawyers too. You know, have you seen the meme going around with the guy with a shitty suit? And it's like, if this guy is your lawyer, you're going to lose. Is there truth to that? Uh, you know, honestly, I think the people in the shitty suits are actually better lawyers because they spend more time thinking and less time getting dressed. Really? Yeah. I'm surprised that you would say that. So you're saying you're a poor dresser. Uh, no, I dress very well. <laughs> okay. But, but like, you should be spending more time like studying the law books. Yeah. I mean, think about every public defender you've ever seen in court, how they're kind of disheveled, you know, look a little bit homeless. But they're also some of the best lawyers I've ever met. Yeah, there's definitely different levels of public defender. There were some that I really respected and I thought did a good job, but they were all basically disheveled. And I just, I assumed it was just because they're basically courtroom to courtroom, no time to prepare, not eating lunch just to, uh, you know, cause that's what you got to do. I think as a public defender, I think they're probably more understaffed than a police department. I could be wrong. Yeah, no, you're definitely right. Cause those are like the diehards. Those are the people that just, absolutely believe in it they've drank the kool-aid they're not going anywhere like they don't do it for the money obviously everyone all their clients tell them how terrible they are because they're public defenders but those are like the true believers so you surprised me when you sent me a message and said that you listened to my podcast which which kind of surprised that like decent moral people listen to this podcast <laughs> um, oh, i just thought so it was de degenerates like i what well, I, 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 I'm just curious how you fucking found this. I, I don't, I just, I don't imagine many lawyers would be into this kind of thing. I just, I think highly of you. No. Okay. That's a lie. I know you're a lawyer that defends cops, Dude. but you're still a lawyer. Okay. Yeah, obviously. Uh, still a lawyer. So, I mean, like you're kind of low on the totem pole, but I just figured you guys have better things to do. So how'd you end up here? I listen to police podcasts all the time. Like that's what makes me good at my job is it's how you kind of stay a breast and afloat of what is happening in the world plus you're good and you're funny so there's a lot out there that kind of bore me but you maintained my interest am i the best one though that's what i need to know uh you're pretty good yeah that that wasn't the answer i was looking for but we're gonna go with pretty good <laughs> it's pretty good well you know i'm i have a i have a you have a special place in my heart and i told you this in our message every time i listen to your podcast on the way to trial i win all right. So I need to be shitting out more podcasts is what. Yeah. I mean, it's like, God, it's been over a year. We haven't lost. Look at that. I know. So killing it. knowing, never mind. I'm going to leave that joke to myself. So <laughs> um, you're, you're probably going to leave some of them maybe. Um, <laughs> but 
So let me ask you this. So you've been doing this for a long time, defending cops for a hot minute. Has the game changed as far as juries and I mean, I, I'm going to make some assumptions here, but juries and prosecutors and, and things as far as going after cops, has it, have you noticed a change? Has it, I don't yep. put words in your mouth, but you want to describe that change? So I'd say like 10 years ago, my job was pretty easy. Um, you know, cops got in trouble. They got IAs. If they got terminated or suspended. We could pretty much hide those IA files and random, you know, file cabinets in the chief's office and nobody would ever find out about it and they'd go work somewhere else and that was the end of it but uh it's definitely not like that anymore okay but that that sounds like a bad thing though i feel like that was a predecessor to all the problems we're having not to say like every bad cop quote unquote the bad apples as people like to say or you know but you always that's one of like the the screaming points is like oh these people get fucking fired somewhere and they get hired somewhere else yeah, I mean, that's true. Part of the problem, though, is like hiring and firing is so subjective that you have, you know, one agency who's going to fire you because they don't like what you wore to work that day or they don't like how you, I don't know, talk to somebody on a traffic stop. And then another agency is keeping people that have, you know, multiple DUIs. And so there's no there's no consistency in it. And so it was it's, you know, almost like if you have a personality conflict and you end up leaving the agency, like now you could just be completely barred from law enforcement because no one's going to hire you if you've got a termination on your record. So it kind of leveled out and it allowed people, I think, to find places to work where they, you know, fit in with that mentality and kind of the workload and all that. But that's gone. Fair enough. And, and I get that, too. You're right, because, you know, I, I was, I was kind of going a cab there for a minute there. But, you know, because <laughs> you do hear that shit. And, and honestly, there's been a few cases where, like, somebody ends up getting in trouble and you're like, how the fuck did this this guy fucking latch on somewhere else? Where like you have heard the stories like I know my agency was famous for uh turfing people in FTO. This was before I was there, but their their mantra was they were trying to like get out half the people, which half the people that they kicked out were probably gonna be just fine. They just fucked them too so bad and they went out to yeah. these other departments and had great careers. So I I understand, you know, that a little bit for sure. And I'm not saying guys shouldn't be defended and let's be honest uh, the worst part of policing the most corrupt part of policing is the brass so i'm not saying they don't need to be defended but you know there definitely have been the the stories where people definitely shouldn't have gotten a second chance yeah i agree with that 100 percent. so i i guess let's um man i don't even know where to start here because i have so many questions and i have i had like instagram send me some questions Let's kind of let me let me throw let me throw like a little softball at you to kind of get this going and make sure I want this to be educational. So as a lawyer for cops, what are some like key mistakes that you are seeing law enforcement officers make? And we can't obviously can't go incident to incident, but post incident and things like that, like where can officers after a critical incident? Like, what kind of good decisions can they be making to prevent having problems in court? Ah, and you mean, you mean like not decision-making stuff on scene, right? Or report writing, but like what to do after the fact? Yeah, I mean, I, I would just assume, you know what? We Let's talk, I, I would like to assume, but we know what assuming means, makes an ass out of you and me. Let's even talk about that. Like, the, 
like after the incident, but on scene stuff, like good reports, stuff like that. Oh, throw it all in there. Let's throw the kitchen sink at this. Oh gosh, I'm gonna be talking for like six hours. So that's okay. The thing that nothing irritates me more than someone calling me and telling me that they've like they've been through the interview process on IA or um, they've you know talked to an investigator on a critical incident or whatever, and they just want to talk to a lawyer after the fact. I think to kind of make them feel better about it or run through you know possible consequences. But you know my job and the the best part of my job, I should say, is preventing problems. And so the the earlier you can have a lawyer involved, and that doesn't mean like contacting your agency and telling them that you've got a lawyer representing you. I understand how that kind of stigma can look bad sometimes, but just getting input and getting insight before you do anything permanent that's going to come back and bite you in the ass is like the most, that's probably the number one tip I can give anyone is Find a lawyer who you trust, who you can call with questions and, you know, figure out what the holes are before you make anything final. Like, I, it's it's harder to fix problems than prevent them, I guess, is the best way I can phrase it. Does that make sense? No, no, that makes a ton of sense. But nobody ever calls lawyers because they're like, well, I'd, it's going to look, I'm going to look guilty if I call lawyers or some agencies you know, during the IA process, they don't actually let you have counsel sitting there with you in the interview room during the, you know, investigative stage. But I would say probably 50% of what we do is prepare people going into interviews, even if counsel can't be present, just so they know what to expect. They've had practice. They kind of know how to phrase things. They know what to emphasize. And whether we're there or not, it that's kind of where the peace of mind comes in and anxiety gets alleviated. I gotcha. So basically what you're saying is fucking call first. Yeah. Which and I know I, sounds like a call the lawyer because I'm a lawyer, but lawyers are very good at anticipating problems. And you have to remember, we work all over the state and a lot of cop lawyers do. So we see agency to agency and issue to issue, just giant patterns that have developed and we can anticipate problems way better than you guys can just because we've we've got so much more experience dealing with it on a broader scale and that's where the the experience and the help comes in when you said just call first this is what i thought of oh and i don't need the whole music i just wanted to say better call saul i'm the worst at my button that's a good show though it is a good song oh there it is call saul there it is uh (laughs) I was lucky where my department, you know, if you were in a union, that was kind of one of the things was like, hey, you're in the union. Part of paying your union dues is having a lawyer. I know there are some departments and areas where you don't have access to a union. You're not unionized or whatever. I, I guess out of my own curiosity. So let's just say I I'm not in the FOP or whatever unions in that area. And I call you up. Is it like, how does that work? Let's walk through that process. We got to like hand over a credit card and say, Hey, like a, will you talk to us kind of thing? Or do you, how does this whole thing work? I mean, I think it depends on the law firm and the law office, obviously, but people that are business oriented are going to require you to pay them a retainer ahead of time. We don't do that. We, 
like, I, I mean, I get phone calls all day, every day, just from random people asking random questions. And if, if it's going to turn into a case or it's going to require like formal representation, then we'll take, you know, we take a, we operate on flat fees so that people don't have to pay hourly. So there's some control over costs, but um, yeah, if you don't have union stuff, I mean, you get your initial kind of consult and like the, the beginning stages and figuring out what it's going to take and what processes are involved, what's required. And then we kind of base the flat fee on that, but yeah, credit card. Whatever. Hand over that credit card. Well, and the reason I ask is just I'm not very worldly. By the way, credit card, remind me. Better call Saul. Um, <laughs> Damn it. Uh, I'm not worldly at all. I've actually been lucky where I've never had to fucking call a lawyer. Um, so I don't know how that works at all. I've never had to do it. Say what now? So that makes me skeptical of your policing. I feel like the good cops are getting in trouble a lot now. Just complaints oh. are coming Hold on a second here. That's not true. <laughs> We're not all goon squads. There's a way to go about policing. No, I got complaints. I got all kinds of fucking complaints. I just, I never had one go to uh, the level of uh, being like crazy like that. I mean, I, I lucked out. So how dare you question my policing? I was going to say, so you had complaints and you did not call a lawyer. But like supervisory review level, that's fine. I'll allow it. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm not going to call a lawyer because the boss wants to call me into the office. Now, if I'm starting to sign, like, Garrity and something, okay, we're going to, which uh, I've been a witness a couple things, but uh, no, I uh, I never needed that. How dare you? I mean, How dare you question my policing? If you're sitting in an office signing Garrity, it, you're, it's too late for you to call a lawyer. You're, you're in it. Well, you know, what's funny is one time I went in on an IA and they had me sign Garrity and as a witness. And I was like, you motherfuckers, what is this going to turn into? <laughs> and uh, it it was I mean, it was like a nothing burger. Nothing really happened. So it's fine. That um, shit happens all the time, though. They People, the agencies all over the place will bring you in as a witness. They'll give you Garrity. You know, they'll interview you. They'll ask questions. And then three weeks later, four weeks later, all of a sudden you're a subject now. Just because somebody else said something that didn't match or whatever. It's nah, a... I hear you. I, here's the thing. I just didn't do shady shit. How about that? That didn't matter. Well, I mean, it doesn't matter. Shit. It doesn't matter now. A couple yeah, of years ago, it wasn't so bad. That's, and that's part of the reason I'm not there. And you now know where I worked. I know, and so I'm, I'm sure you understand why I'm no longer there. Yes. And I... I have more respect for you now that I know that. <sighs> it was such a great place, though. It really was not that long ago. But that's a story. That's a story for another day. It's a good so, story, though. Like looking at looking back at how it used to be and how it is now. Oh like, yeah, it's it's crazy. You know, I, I actually uh, a couple podcasts before this one, I had a a guy on that I worked with. And, you know, we kind of worked during the same time period. And, and he I brought him on, not necessarily to talk all about the old times, but because he he has kind of some medical expertise. We talked about like some fentanyl and stuff. But mm -hmm. I mean, it was great when we both worked there. It was fucking fantastic. It was a great place. And now yeah. it is a it is a shithole and it. I don't I don't see it ever getting better. But what do I know? I, I've been known to be wrong a few times, so. Mm, you're not wrong on that it's 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 i don't know how it's gonna happen there but 
let's talk. Okay, so I mentioned Goon Squad, and I don't know if you're familiar with this case. Have you heard about the case down in it's like Rankin County, Mississippi, where they like these deputies called themselves the Goon Squad and they went in and beat the shit out of these two guys and shot one of them and there was like waterboarding accusations and stuff too. Are you familiar with that case? No, but go on. Oh, well, we, we actually did a whole podcast on this one too, which you haven't heard yet because it's not out, yeah. but it's, it's fucking horrendous. The details of it are horrendous. It, it basically like they broke into these guys house. Cause one of the, so the captain or uh, lieutenant or something was his buddy said, Hey, these guys are causing problems in my neighborhood. So the goon squad assembled and they broke into these dudes house. They handcuffed them, beat the shit out of them, put dildos in their mouths, all kinds of fucking horrid shit, planted drugs on them, shot one of them. He meant to like make him think he was being executed and he forgot to clear the round. Oh it's my shot God. him through. Yeah. It's fuck. It's so fucking horrible. And my question for you on that one, not is, and let me tell another story to get to my question. Cause I'm famous for that. Cause I can't shut the fuck up, but I had a friend involved in what we'll call a critical incident. And I told them, I said, you need to be, it was bad. Like what this was, was bad. And I said, don't be stupid. Like if you get offered something, you should probably consider taking it kind of thing. As a lawyer with like something with, with the facts of a case are that fucking bad. I, out of my own curiosity, I mean, how do you, how do you handle that with a client? Are you basically like, Hey, don't be a fucking idiot. You, if they offer you a deal, you need to take it. I mean, I, def I definitely have cases like that, but I don't know that I, I don't come into it with that kind of mindset. I mean, my job is to look legally at what they're charged with and figure out what the facts are, what I know they can prove, rules of evidence, hearsay, all that stuff, what they can actually get admitted into court. And then I evaluate the strength of the case. And if there's, you know, charges that we can admit to in front of a jury, but contest like the more serious offenses that carries a lot of weight sometimes. So it, it again, completely dependent on the case, but just because the facts are bad doesn't mean there's not options to put your client in the best possible situation you can. I hear you. Well, so on this one in Mississippi, the, like the indictments just came out and they fucking like immediately pled. All six of them just fucking pled, which I've yeah. never seen a court case go through that far ever. I mean, or that fast ever. It was, it was crazy. Like, the information came out like, oh, it came out and then they pled. It's never seen anything like it in my life. So it kind of insane, but I'm glad you kind of put some context as far as what a lawyer is looking for in those types of situations. And that what like I want to no, no, go ahead. Sorry to interrupt. What did they plead to? Because situations like that, you either have some stellar offers on the table and you don't want to kind of push the boundaries. Or the case was not as strong as the media makes it out to be. Uh, well, what all of it was. Um, let me pull it up here. I'm assuming it was a bunch of felonies that they oh, were yeah. charged, well, and they were federal charges. Oh, um, there you go. That's different. Yeah, yeah, it's it's bad. Uh, let's see. Sorry, I wasn't prepared for questions. I'm usually the one that 
Uh, all right, so they all kind of pled to different things. A couple of them pled to conspiracy to hinder prosecution. Hmm. Uh, and then one pled to guilty of home invasion and conspiracy to hinder prosecution. And then one pled to ag assault, burglary, home invasion, conspiracy to hinder prosecution. And I I had an a guy from Mississippi. He was kind of the main guest on that podcast. And he kind of read through everything that came out in court. So, you know, when they read the charges and the information through court, the guys, yeah, that's, that's a factual thing. So it's, it's, this isn't one of those things where like, oh, it's like it made bad. It, it was fucking bad. Like it was bad. The whole, it wasn't one of those things that we've seen so often twisted. Like this was actually sounds like pretty legitly horrible. Yeah. Well, in federal court, I mean, the benefit of federal court is you, you pretty much know what the sentence is going to be before you even get into the weeds with it. State court is. You know, there's a lot of prosecutors that say just plead guilty and we'll argue at sentencing. So you're looking at a range of 16 years to 48 years, and that's a big difference. But it's not like that on the federal side. I wanted to ask you about another case. Are you, are you familiar with um, Ben Darby out of Huntsville? I am. Okay. Did you hear my podcast on it? I did not. Okay. I almost lied and told you I did just because I feel bad that I didn't hear it. No, it's okay. <laughs> I I am of the humble opinion on that one, which just real quick, I'll, I'll bring everybody up to date if you haven't heard it. It was three or four years ago, a call of a suicidal guy. He called on himself, said he was going to blow his brains out or whatever the typical thing. Two officers respond before Darby. Darby's the third officer responding. They're talking to the guy in the house. Admittedly, they're not being super well. I say admittedly, I don't know if they admit it. They weren't being super safe with their contact of this guy, but they were kind of standing in the doorway trying to talk to this guy. Darby shows up with a shotgun, pushes past the other officers, tells the guy to drop the gun, and within like 15 20 seconds of him being there, smokes the dude. I of the I was of the opinion that I didn't. I didn't like that. I didn't think his tactics were great either. I wouldn't have pushed my way into a suicidal subject kind of call. I didn't agree with his sentence of like 25 years, but yeah. I I thought it was not a great shooting after that podcast happened. And I mentioned there was an appeal after that podcast happened. He actually won his appeal based on some jury instructions, but the DA said they're going to retry it. So we'll see on that one. The jury instructions that were left out were, uh, it's basically talking about uh, things officers can do. I don't remember verbatim what it was, but that that wasn't told to the jury of, you know, officers are allowed to use force and, and blah, 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 and, and things officers have to think about. We'll see how that one turns out. What are your just based? You're more familiar with it. I think a lot of people listen to the podcast are kind of more familiar with it. What were your thoughts on that case? So. Are you talking factually or legally? Both, factually and legally. <laughs> I don't really know how to answer this. So, factually, my first question is why everybody was positioned where they were positioned. I mean, and you tell you know better. I mean, you you got that training, but I'm not wrong, right? They were in a bad spot to begin with. There was no cover, concealment, nothing, from what I understand. Yeah, my thought on that one, if 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 I was Darby. I would have got there, seen where they were at and been like, all right, this is stupid. Let's back out of here kind of thing and and yeah. do this smarter, not, you know, charge in there kind of deal. So, yeah, that 
where the officers were positioned was not not great. You know, didn't she the female officer taking lead talking to the dude didn't have her gun out or anything. Um, that type of stuff wasn't good. But I I also I'm not a big believer in creating your own exigency, which I think Darby did in that case. Yeah. So I you know, I saw the body cam. I think it'd be interesting to actually hear the nine one one call and the the radio traffic going back and forth because I honestly I haven't looked into it that much but I don't know what he knew going into it do you he what my understanding of of it is they I don't know the radio traffic much but two officers got dispatched and he I think they asked hey can somebody else come or maybe he thought you know what somebody else should go to this um but I'm not sure on like what I'm pretty sure the guy called in on himself like hey I'm I'm gonna kill myself or, or something like that yeah, I know that part happened. Yeah, yeah. He, said, he called in and said he was suicidal. Yeah, so, so I don't I don't know exactly the radio traffic on that. So let me ask you, how many times have you responded to a call where someone who's suicidal is calling on themselves? Does that happen often? Yeah, happens every so often, yeah. I would say so. And do you have like a standard response to it? I mean... So you walk in, and I think the way the house was set up, you kind of walk in the door, and the living room's right there, and the dude's sitting on the couch with a gun held up to his head, just, like, pointed at his temple. Uh, I don't think it was the actual firearm, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah, it, it ended up being a uh, – oh, what the fuck was it? It ended up being a – he had fashioned it into some sort of a firearm, but it was like a – I don't know. What are the things you – like a flare gun or something like that? Yeah. Something like that. I don't know if it was a flare gun, but something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think anybody who who was on scene and I think the other two cops that got there before Darby had been there for like a minute, maybe. And they didn't know that it wasn't an actual firearm. Yeah. But so I've kind of two thoughts on this. Right. I mean, the dude's sitting there. He's got the gun to his head. You're talking to him. You're kind of you're trying to get him to you know set the firearm down and he's not complying. Well, it takes a fraction of a second for him to just turn that firearm or decide like they're not going to shoot me unless I take some furtive movement that's going to make them feel threatened but how fast an officer could actually die in that situation I mean that's not I don't think the the perception of a threat for Darby at least was unreasonable do you agree with that oh I don't think the perception of the threat was unreasonable once he put himself in harm's way but right. like he like he basically tried to he felt like he needed to take over this call, which I, I'm telling you, based on like my training and experience and, and based on the facts of this thing. You're pull. Hey, let's let's get out of the fucking house. I mean, like there, there's been times where we get called about somebody that, you know, has a gun. They're feeling bad or something. OK, call them. Not why are we making contact with them at the door kind of thing to get blown away? It just I me personally, I. I don't like that rushing into it. I don't think the guy, I don't know that I think Darby needed to like go to prison or anything, but it wasn't like good policing in my, in my humble opinion. It was like, yeah, I get it. Like the guy has a gun and it could be dangerous, but Darby put himself more in the room than the other officers where the other ones are at least at the doorway brick house. They could have, they could have backed out or I think it was a brick house. If I remember you're right, easily could have turned into something, but he kind of rushed into that thing. In my opinion, 
and I, we're, you know, we can't do anything about it now, but I'm, I'm curious on your end and, and I guess we have, I don't want to say we have a, a disagreement about this, but there was some information that the DA had said, you know what, we'll charge you with this lesser crime. You won't have to go to jail, but we don't want you to be a cop ever again. And Darby said, no bullshit. And, you know, it obviously went to trial and he got convicted, which we'll see how that ends up playing out if they actually go after him again, but he's out now. What, I guess, what are your thoughts? That was kind of where I was going with, with, you know, how do you deal with people where they think they're right, but maybe they're wrong in taking deals and stuff like that? I mean, it's up to them, right? So my job is to, I advise them of the pros and cons of each. You know, I say, here's your five options. And with each option, here's the benefit of taking it. Here's the benefit of not taking it. And it's, I don't tell them to go to trial. I don't tell them to take the offer. I can't tell them what I would do if I was in their shoes, but I can present them with, you know, the, the options. And I tend to make it pretty persuasive. It's not hard to figure out what I think they should do, I guess, by the way that I'm advising them. But I mean, ultimately it's up to the client. You've got, you know, you have cops are pretty hard headed Right. So you end up with a lot of officers that are in these shootings or get charged criminally. And they very deeply believe that they didn't do anything wrong because the threat was real and the perception was real. And to them, it was, you know, it's a you or me kind of thing. And so it's hard for a lot of cops to say, you know, I did something wrong or plead guilty to a crime when they legitimately felt like it was a you or me type situation. And so I, I understand that. I mean, you have you have guys like Darby who are rolling the dice at trial, but he had the support of the mayor. He had the support of police chief. There's people around the country, I think, that came and testified for him. So it's it's hard in those situations because you have law enforcement who are, you know, kind of on your side and supporting you. But then you have civilians sitting on a jury trial who really don't have any experience or expectations like walking into it. And they don't know. I mean... I don't know if you saw it. There was a news article about one of the jurors in that case that wrote a big long letter about, you know, why they made the decision or how they made the decision and what stood out to him during that trial. And like a fraction of it had to do with the actual use of force. It was shit leading up to it and stuff they learned after the fact. And it was just things that I think looking just at the use of force, like it was totally irrelevant, but it obviously colored the way that they thought he was as a person and, in my opinion, ultimately affected their verdict. Which I want to talk about, you know, juries. I'll I'll try to remember to get back on that. But I I wanted to kind of ask the question kind of in the same vein of the last question was, I'm a big believer, and I don't know how well this actually plays out in the legal system, but I've seen some cases where like, and this not just only cops, but it's like clearly somebody was wrong. You know, the evidence is, is pretty great. Yeah. And people won't admit they're wrong. I I've kind of told myself and I hope I stay true to this. If I fuck up, I'm going to tell the truth about it. Can that help you in your experience if somebody's just like, "Hey, look, and from the get-go, not through cuz you see this after trial, right? After a conviction where people are like, "I'm sorry, I fucked up." Well, before we even get to that point, "Hey, I messed up." You know, I I I made a mistake. Do you see that working well for clients ever? Yeah. I mean, but obviously it has to be sincere and it has to be in the right situation. I mean, you've got when 
people die as a result of your actions, saying you're sorry and you you fucked up is it means a lot less than you know you making a bad decision and there's like a minor assault allegation and you can make it right with you know community service and apology letters and all that stuff. So you know there's a obviously a wide gamut, but yeah, there's a definitely a time and a place for it. And I think the public appreciates when that happens. The media, you know, reports on it, but uh, obviously the media says what they're going to say anyways. I, yeah, but yes, I agree. Okay. You know, cause that, I don't know, like I, I get it. Like, and I, that's one of the things of being a cop is like, you know, you catch somebody quote unquote red handed and you know, like you'd have some of your criminals be like, ah, yeah, you got me. And you know, they're just going to go in and plead and, and go do their thing the next yeah. day. Right. But you know, I, you know, you'd always see it where like people are just so they get so caught up into whatever story they've told themselves on why why they're right for doing whatever they did. That it, it kind of got at some point it gets a little disheartening where you're like, dude, just you fucked up, man. Like, you know, and I always told people like, yeah, you're under arrest. You're not a hardened criminal. Like, I don't think you're a bad person. You just you made a mistake. But this is kind of the deal, you know, you gotta, you gotta pay the price for making a mistake and you gotta go through this legal process or whatever. But, you know, some people just got so like caught up into like the fabric of their own lie or what they tell themselves to justify it. And I'm just curious from a lawyer's end, you know, you see that stuff. I, I gotta imagine that's kind of hard to like bring these people back to earth and be like, Hey, you're, you're going to make this a whole lot worse. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know how to how to comment on that. It's it's really hard. So the criminal process obviously takes a very long time, right? And so if you've got a cop who's charged with, I don't know, theft because he was falsely reporting time, you know, that he worked that he didn't work or overtime or whatever, that the stress is still there, right? But it's different if you're looking at a manslaughter case or a murder case where you've got mandatory prison and the offer that you get is you know, there's almost no difference between the plea bargain that the DA is offering you and the actual maximum sentence if you're convicted. And so you can have, it's like the struggle between I want to make amends to the family because I feel bad for it. I also feel justified in what I did. And if I felt that same way in that same situation, again, I would act the same way, but I can see how I could have handled it differently. Like those competing interests and competing thoughts like really fuck with a person as time goes on and the trial process you know gets continued and continued and continued and so it you know i think it depends on the person it depends on the circumstances but yeah there's a, a very specific case i want to bring up but we cannot bring up but i'm gonna definitely ask you about it after we're done recording because it, it's like a perfect scenario for this because there's not many scenarios where it's like clear cut like that. Like, Oh, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. And you know, you can kind of deal with it and move on. Like there's usually a more caveat to it. And it's, it's not that as simple as I'm making it. Yeah. I agree with that. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to the podcast. I want to talk to you guys about the thin line rock station. You've heard me promote them over the last few podcasts. It is music for first responders by first responders. I love listening to it. And not only do they play a great variety of music, they have the request line. You can request stuff. They also promote police businesses, and they also promote police charity. And a portion of all their proceeds goes back into the police community. So 
If you're like I, you want some good tunes, great variety, go check them out. Again, that is the Thin Line Rock Station, and I'll have a link in the podcast description. Now, back to the podcast. So there was a few more cases I wanted to ask you about, if, if that's smooth. Go on. Let's talk. This is kind of a big case in my home state. It's uh, Elijah McClain. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know like the ins and outs of the whole entire case, but what I do know about it is they were initially cleared by their department and then they were initially cleared by the DA, which I think was oh, Adams or something like that. And then a, a year later, there or a couple of years later, you know, after everything goes down in the summer of love, the governor it tells his uh his attorney general to investigate this and the governor goes on the news and says oh i hope you know i hope these guys get convicted which is isn't is insane that the governor puts himself out there like that but what do i know and now these guys end up getting you know grand jury and get it getting convicted i'm just curious like your thoughts on that whole process because that to me that seems kind of fucked like you you get cleared and now, and I know it's not double jeopardy because then I go to trial or anything like that, but I, I don't know. I, I got to think that's not a very common thing where officers get cleared and then it gets brought back up. No, I agree with that. That does not happen often. I mean, the, the problem and what you're running into now is grand juries and everybody, maybe not everybody, but all lawyers know, like you can indict a hand sandwich, right? So you show up to court, there's no judge, there's, People, the grand jurors who are sitting there just listening to the prosecution, they can present whatever information they want. Um, There's no one to object to it, no one to sort of make sure that the entire story is presented. And so a lot of times they can just pick and choose what they want this grand jury to to hear. And then they tell the grand jury, you know, give them the instructions and kind of walk them through the process and help them write um, the indictment and the information that supports the indictment. And then what happens is the media local media gets a hold of it or the attorney representing the family or whoever kind of takes that and starts spewing stories about, you know, grand jury indicts and there's probable cause on these charges and they're going to have to go to trial. And so it starts a snowball of like that you're guilty before anyone has actually even heard the entire story. And that's almost impossible to overcome, especially as defense attorneys where, you know, we have ethical obligations and we're kind of prohibited from trying to taint our jury pool. So you have these stories that are coming from the family members and they're not bound by the ethical rules, but it's it goes unchallenged or uncontested until motions are filed in court or whatever. But by that point, it's the train has sort of already started. Yeah, that's going to be kind of interesting to see how that all plays out. And that, that's not like a, a case I've gone over a lot or I think at all on this podcast. But if you guys, I'm sure everybody's kind of heard of that one. But what was really concerning to me was I, the governor took like such an interest in it. And I looked at that and I'm like, OK, so potentially as a, as a cop in Colorado, I could be cleared by my department, be cleared by a DA. And if it's something that is we'll just say controversial or high profile, the governor is going to basically sick his dog after you. And now you have to worry about that, which was 
to me, it was like, I, I don't want to fucking be in the state anymore. That's to me, that's to me, that's fucking corrupt as shit. But I, I guess he's allowed to do that. I mean, you're right. He shouldn't be, but he does it. He did it in that case up in Clear Creek where the cop was charged with second degree murder. I mean, the, the elected DAs know the governor well, and so they can kind of, I don't want to make accusations that I don't have factual like proof of, but you can certainly manipulate scenarios to make the entire general public hear stories that automatically have these people like guilty. And as soon as the governor signs his name to it or touches to it or stands on the, you know, the stairs outside the governor's mansion and starts talking about it with the family and the attorney, it's like this automatic kind of sense of, well, we know more about it than you do, but trust us, it's really bad. And half the time they don't. Like that that grand jury up in Clear Creek, that lasted not even a full day. And one witness testified on a murder case. Wow. I, I know a lot of people that listen to this podcast want to be cops. That's cool. Just... Don't do it in Colorado. Why Polis was still there. <laughs> King Polis. Fucking cut. Totally true. Oh, I hate that fucking guy so much. Yeah, he has his... He has his stories. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I remember during the baloney time in, you know, like, people were excited to get together for Thanksgiving or whatever, and he's putting out, you can't get together for Thanksgiving. Go fuck yourself, <laughs> cockbag. Remember, wasn't he the one that was flying around on his private jet? Must be nice. Yeah, I I know. Rough life. He's a fucker. He's not even from Colorado. He's a fucking person from California, you fucking cuck. You're native too, right? Yeah. If I had a private jet, I'd probably fly it around too, but. Yeah. But so you're, you fucking, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think I can speak for all natives from Colorado. How fucking, it's not the same place we grew up, right? It's fucking Mm -hmm. awful now. Yeah. I agree. It was great. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah we've sort it. of, although I will say it's, I would say in the past couple of years, the pendulum is starting to swing a little bit back in the right direction, but, but it was it was brutal for a long time. Although I think people are starting to realize what it's like without cops and nobody's, you know, cops aren't applying and people aren't res- getting responses to their stolen car complaints now. And so... Slowly but surely, I think we're heading in the right direction, but it's still a total shit show right now. You know what's another one that I think the governor is going to go after is, um, man, Colorado's had some high profile cases. I guess everywhere has. But uh, actually, I think I'm going to do I think I did a podcast on this one, too. Again, not out. I'm a little ahead right now. This like, <laughs> this is uh, we're coming out. This is August 15th. I think this is coming out in like middle of September. So we're like a month out of this one, too. But. There was a case up in Larimer County where the cop tased the dude that was running away mm-hmm. on I-25 and it didn't go so well. He ended up being cleared from that. I would not be shocked if uh, King Polis decides he needs to put his fat little fucking fingers in that one, too. He hasn't touched it so far, though, right? Not that I, I mean, like, I'm not up on Colorado news like yeah. I used to be purposely because, you know, <laughs> you know how things are there, but. I uh I would not be shocked at all if he made that his like his new thing. I I certainly hope not, but we'll see. Here's a good case. Kim Potter. You're familiar with that one, right? What'd you say? Kim Potter? 
Yeah, that was the I think that's her name, the chick in uh Minnesota that shot the dude instead of tasing him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you follow that case at all? What did you think of that one from a legal standpoint? So I will qualify every answer by saying I don't trust the news at all because I've been on the other side of it and I see what they report and it's like it's a fraction of the relevant information or it's so twisted that it just it doesn't ever accurately describe what's happening. So I tend to not rely on news stories when it comes to facts of cases. Gotcha. So Where you talking did... about the body cam? Was that the girl? Was she in the subway or something? No, this was the one where uh, they had the guy in the car that had a like a warrant for some kind of gun thing, and he wasn't getting out of the car, and they went to get him out of the car, and she yelled, taser, 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 but she accidentally had her gun out and shot the dude. Oh, yeah. I don't know uh, if you followed yeah. that trial at all, but I thought I thought the defense on that was kind of interesting, although... I don't know what they could have done because, you know, on the body camera, she like loses her shit because she's like, fuck, I shot this guy. I yeah. didn't mean to shoot him kind of thing. I actually think it would have been a good shoot because he was about to fucking drive off with her partner in the car, um, maybe dragging him along kind of thing. At that point, you're fearing for your partner's life. But I don't I guess she didn't see that. So it was like, fuck, that could have been a justified shoot. But, you know, I, I don't know how you could overcome in trial that that body cam footage of, you know, saying shit, I didn't mean to shoot that guy. Well, that's what lawyers are for. That's what to well, her, hers didn't do so good. Although she's already out. She's already done her time and we're still talking about it, but she, she went in, did her thing and now she's out. So. Was that a manslaughter conviction? I think it was. I think it was. Yeah. Well, Cause it was accidental. Yeah. Well, yeah. Air quotes. Yeah. Air quotes. Um, you want to talk about the patron saying a fentanyl? I mean, sure. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if we should or not. You want to? <laughs> I, it's your podcast, man. It is. I again, it's just that one's kind of weird to me, and I think we can all agree. Like, hey, yeah, that was that was terrible policing. But I keep seeing the stuff in the news where it's like, oh yeah, that dude had so much fucking fentanyl in his system, he's probably gonna die anyway. And I don't feel like that was part of the trial at all. I didn't. I know a lot of people watched that whole fucking thing. I did not. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you have like a lawyer's take on that whole thing. Well, so let me ask you this. If you were the defense attorney, what would you have done? The defense attorney? On that one? Yeah. Oh, man. Boy, this is tough. Uh, well, I would have, number one, been like, hey, dude rescue position try that one next time when you're out of jail because you're going to probably be there for a while um <laughs> i mean i guess it's hard like again it's hard to defend that shit because it's so it looks so bad on camera which perception's reality right and i i think as a cop you should have some some first aid knowledge like oh this dude is having trouble breathing. Perhaps we should not have him on his belly. But if I was on the defense side of that, I, I mean, I probably would have been, you know, kind of looking into like, hey, the we didn't he we didn't kill him. The fentanyl killed him. That would have been my defense. Yeah, the problem now is jurors don't they don't give a shit, right? Like 
you know, battle the experts. This is how this person died. This is how this person died. I mean, same thing with Elijah McClain. There's the the toxicology info and the forensic pathologists that look into that. I mean, there's now you have differing opinions, right? So you kind of pick and choose which one you want. But at least in my experience here in Colorado, jurors focus on things other than I don't know the the cause cause of death, right? Like if you're just going back and forth arguing fentanyl and something else, I mean the the end result is someone died and there's a family sitting in that courtroom crying the entire time looking at the jurors. And so there's some sort of emotional obligation to kind of remedy that, you know? You know what? I think that brings up another a good topic to talk about. And we've broached it, but not from your, your perspective, but what are some things that would probably surprise us that sway jurors like things you've seen over the years? It's like it's the dumbest, most innocuous things that are kind of said in passing. And lawyers know their cases so well that half the time it doesn't even a witness will say something and it doesn't even register as being an issue. Um, let me think of a good example. So, you know, when you switch channels, you're on the radio, you switch channels, you go to a tactical channel, whatever, you come back that. A lot of times in discovery, the dispatch recordings that we get are cropped. And so it'll be instead of the long delays between, you know, people talking on the radio, they just shorten it. And so it'll be, you know, the, somebody saying the time and then the officer airing whatever and then dispatch resp responding. And so that that 30 minute event ends up coming down to like a four minute clip. And you'll have jurors focus on the fact that the timeline says this happened from midnight to 1230, but we only have four minutes of radio recordings. And so we're missing 26 minutes of what the cops did. I wonder why the police didn't turn that over. And if you don't have an attorney who's experienced in law enforcement stuff to kind of head off those issues, and it's hard because jurors think about random things that you don't even comprehend. But if you don't have someone who's experienced in that, the jurors now think 26 minutes of information was hidden from them and nobody has said that in court. Amazing. That's amazing. That, that, and that's something I wouldn't even thought of because vegan police, I just figured everybody knows how that works. But well, yeah, I can see that being an issue. Yeah. I mean, lawyers do too, right? So we'll talk about, I don't know. I think in that, God, what's that guy's name? Darby? Yeah. But, letter that the juror wrote part of what one of the first things that he said is Darby was supposed to be going back to the police station to turn over his body cam about on a complaint against him or someone else and so that thought you know and it was probably the dude was just going to put his body cam on and upload it or download it whatever from the prior call whatever happened in that juror's mind now makes him think he's already the subject of somebody else's complaint so he's probably not a good cop that was like the first thing that he remembered. And it must, it, you know, you have these innocuous statements or impressions that you don't ever have a way to contradict that can totally change the perception in the way that they view your client. What are some things cops can do, not only on the stand, but in the courtroom to help their cause? Um, not look like assholes. You know, it's hot. <laughs> <I don't> know. <laughs> well, sorry. I can't help the way I am. 
Yeah, I mean, you guys are so used to like being authoritative and, you know, looking the part when you're working and then you get to a courtroom and it's, you know, it, you're super serious and very clean and well-pressed and like paying attention. But, you know, we spend a year going over discovery with you, talking about stuff, and then you have a shooting or a death or body cam footage that's playing for a juror who's never seen it before and the family's in there crying and the cop is just sort of just watching it. I mean, you guys see shit all the time and you already know, knew what was coming. Same with the lawyers, but it immediately gives off the impression of like, this guy is callous. He doesn't have feelings. He doesn't care that he killed somebody. So a lot of what the lawyers should be doing is not working, to, not working to like change the way they look, but how they react when certain events are about to happen in, in court. If that kind of makes sense. And it sounds like I'm playing in one big giant chess game and to a certain extent I can, but you know, most of my clients actually legitimately feel like there's a sincere sadness when they kill someone. So it's not, I'm not creating stuff or pulling it out of nowhere. Like those, you know, TV shows about picking juries. I can't remember that dude's name. Um, but it's teaching them how to, empathize with the feelings that the jurors are going to be going through and then hopefully not do it in a way that's off-putting or insincere like you're staring at a juror to try to make eye contact because I said make eye contact but you do it for too long now you're the creepy guy that's trying to intimidate the juror into you know finding in your favor it, there's there's honestly a lot that goes into it you know, one thing I wish they taught more in the academy was courtroom stuff. I remember in my academy, we had like a, I don't know, like a, an hour block to go to court and kind of learn about that. And we did like a mock trial. But the thing that was funny, we didn't all get to take part of that. Like I just sat in the jury box and watched the mock trial. And it was funny because, you know, the attorneys were just destroying these rookie cops in this mock trial. But I never got any practice at it before I went. And as a guy, like I, you know, I, I talk for a living at this point. I would still get nervous um, on the stand. I don't like it. I never liked it. And you don't really get that training. And, and I wish you got more pointers and things to do. I, I learned over time what worked and was better. Like I had a fucking almost every time I testified when they asked something about your name, I had a joke about my name. It's not Lenny, by the way, I think you'll know. And it was it always worked. It always got a little chuckle from grandma in the jury box. The judge usually chuckled and it just kind of set the mood. Right. And then, and it, you're right. Just the eye contact thing is huge. You give an answer, pick a juror, look at them. The next one, look at a different juror. And it's you get better at it through time. But I, I run across a lot of cops and not necessarily in the circumstances we're talking here, but just, you know, in their their daily functions, of, you know, going to court. They get mad at the whole thing, which I get, but you got to understand it's a fucking game, is it not? No, it's a it's 100% a game. I mean, the problem is, and you guys are kind of screwed from day one, right? So you have two different types of prosecutors. You have prosecutors that, like, really give a shit, and they work 80 hours a week, even though they're government, you know, paid, and they, they do anything and everything they can to prepare all their witnesses going in court and to make sure their cops know what's happening and if motions are going so you know what motions there are. Then there's the other half that's like, this is an eight to five job. I'm going to get done what I can get done during that time period. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. So you you end up with these misdemeanor trials or motions hearings and cops that have never 
testified before and they're called by, you know, victim witness or whoever and said, you know, be here in two hours and they don't really know why they're there and they barely read their report. And then the prosecutor just throws them on a witness stand. And it's, you know, having been a DA, it's easy to kind of get in the mindset that everybody in that kind of area of law has been in court a lot. I mean, I assume cops have testified a million times and probably more than I have, but it's a this obviously inaccurate perception and then you don't prep people going into it. And so cop doesn't really know what to ask and the prosecutor's wondering why the cop's not explaining things and nobody really knows what's happening if you don't put some time and energy into it and you have that one bad experience and that cop is going to hate going to court like until the end of time just because unless you're on a bunch of DUIs, you're not going to be in court over and over and over and over. And so not having like the avenue to get experience in a non, I guess, judgmental way sucks. I mean, sucks for you guys. Yeah, that is, uh, that is definitely one thing I think they need to emphasize more because you do it a lot, especially if you're a busy cop. I know you didn't think very highly of my policing because I wasn't in the news getting in trouble all the time, but <laughs> I went to court a lot, a fucking lot, because I always got my hands dirty with shit. I was always doing, you know, writing people supplementals and helping out with cases. And I was always fucking in court. I met a guy once. Write good reports. Fuck you. That is not. (laughs) I write excellent reports. They're so good that (laughs) they want to see me. Okay. You're the only one that can explain what happened. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Um, Well, and I would. I don't know. I, I put myself, you know what? I don't want to talk about me, but I did run across a guy that worked at my same agency. He's like, Oh, I've only been to work, court one time. I was like, what? One time in yeah. like the five years he worked there. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? And I'm like, then I really started thinking, are my reports that bad? <laughs> Maybe they are. I don't know. <laughs> well, it depends on what you're doing, right? You're doing DUS. You're going to be in court a lot more. If you're like the guy who's going around the block, so you're the fifth person on scene, you're probably not going to be in court that often. I kind of think that was the uh, the situation there. Not to point fingers or anything, but it, it could have been. Yeah, 100%. There was some – I'll let you kind of take the lead here because I know there was a few things that you wanted to kind of get out and talk about just to make officers – aware of some things that could help them potentially doing their jobs and God forbid they're in one of these kind of critical incidents. What kind of information can you put out there to the millions of listeners here? So the, a lot of time with use of force stuff and self-defense and defensive persons, you know, a lot of times it boils down to how you legally evaluate who's an initial aggressor and who's not right. Who starts the confrontation and, and who doesn't, if you, start the confrontation and you decide to withdraw from your encounter and you tell them you're withdrawing from your encounter, then fine. If somebody attacks you, you're allowed to use self-defense. But if you're the one provoking it and you're the one starting it, you legally are not allowed to stand back and claim uh, self-defense, right? So if a cop walks up to, I don't know, Joe Schmo and starts an argument or starts, you know, provokes some sort of altercation and then shoots the person or, you know, hurts him trying to take him into custody and tries to claim self-defense later, the court's going to look at that as, or I guess the lawyers will look at that as, well, who is the initial aggressor who started it? 
And that that analysis and that evaluation is for civilians most of the time. But when you have a cop who's charged or a cop who's being investigated possibly for criminal charges, like 99.9% .9 of the time, the cop is going to be the initial aggressor. You're doing your job. You're confronting a suspect. You're you know, trying to figure out what's happening. And you can't really do that unless you're starting the communication or contact with the suspect. So by virtue of cops being initial aggressors legally, you run into problems with them then later claiming self-defense because juries say, well, they're the ones that started it. And that's how the jury instructions read. There's a, and this is what you and I were talking about before we started recording, there's a, an affirmative defense of effectuating an arrest, right? So the law says if you are a cop and you're going to, I don't know, uh, arrest somebody for DUI or assault or whatever it is, and you make that initial contact or that initial um, use of force with the suspect because you're effectuating an arrest, that's fine because the law recognizes you can't do that without being the initial aggressor. The problem is in a lot of these, you know, more serious cases, murder cases, assault cases, manslaughter, what have you, you have a cop who has reasonable suspicion of a crime or, I mean, even, you know, probable cause on a DUI maybe, and they want to do roadsides. They go to make contact with the suspect, not necessarily arrest him, but detain him, put him in handcuffs for his safety or whoever else. But because the cop wasn't planning on arresting them in that very moment, they're not entitled to the affirmative defense that allows them to use force to effectuate an arrest. And so that entire part goes away. And you're just left with who's the initial aggressor and was the force reasonable. And if the cop's the initial aggressor in the eyes of the jury, self-defense doesn't apply. Which... Just to clarify, that that's a Colorado specific thing, right? It's that uh, yes, that's Colorado specific. But just generally speaking, like that's the way the law works. I mean, I would be I would be very surprised if there were states that, and there might be minor tweaks here and there, but generally that concept should apply across the country, except that, in. The Darby case, which that's the subject of the jury instructions and the appeal that he won. Um, that was the first case I've heard of that kind of deals with that issue in a different way. But yeah. And that kind of goes against a lot of what we were trained. We were never trained up on, oh, hey, um, if this goes south in the jury instructions, you're fucked. Like we were taught you know, if you have reasonable suspicion, you can detain someone. And occasionally, right. just based on reasonable suspicion, you know, you would de detain somebody and it would turn into something else basically because they wouldn't comply with that. But as long as you had reasonable suspicion, you were good to go. And, you know, if they resisted or whatever, then depending on where you're at, you may have some kind of obstructing charge or uh, fail to obey if you have that, you know, yeah. wherever you work. But so what you're telling me here is depending on the circumstance, that's not actually true. You might end up getting fucked on it if it goes really south. Yeah. Well, and and especially so because the person suspect is who I'll describe him as um, suspect. If suspect perceives 
an unlawful use of force is about to be used on him, that person is allowed to defend himself from the perceived unlawful excessive force. So he thinks you shouldn't be contacting him. You're contacting him. He's defending himself against what he thinks is your unlawful use of force. He's got a legitimate self-defense case there. Of course, obviously, depending on the case and the charges, but generally speaking, that's the status of the law, at least in Colorado. Because I'm 90% sure here in, in the great state of Iowa now, because fuck Colorado, what it's become. <laughs> I think it's actually on the books, if I read it right, that that is not an affirmative defense. You can't fight with a cop and say, oh, I thought, you know, I thought it was unlawful or whatever. You're not allowed to to do that. If I I could be remembering that wrong, which I read that and I was like, oh, that's kind of nice. Um, That's interesting, though. I mean, it, it's concerning. It's really concerning because you're not told that stuff in the academy. You're just told, hey, go take care of business. As long as, you know, you have reasonable suspicion, you can back it up by the law. You're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. The uh and again the the total lack of understanding of the legal system and I'm not like necessarily shitting on cops for not knowing because it's it's honestly at least in my experience it's not really presented in the police academy. We don't if you want to learn about case law and other stuff like this, you're really not going to get it in the academy, you kind of have to go out there and, and seek it out on your own and do your own independent reading on some of this stuff. And a lot of it is, it could change all the time, right? Kate, like I, I hear a lot of people say, well, case law is permanent. And I'm like, well, that's not necessarily true because then somebody else goes on similar circumstances, but a little bit different facts. And now we have a separate case law for this different bit of circumstance. And it really gets kind of convoluted and confusing. Yeah, I mean, that's what law school is for, right? Is it you spend three years kind of learning how to figure this shit out. But for cops, it, a lot of times what it boils down to is how good your agency or your city or county or town or whoever is at teaching you this stuff. So you can have, I don't know, in-service, annual in-service and spend one hour and you have the town attorney stand up there with a PowerPoint and just read to you quotes from cases that have happened over the past year and like some new statutes, but every person is going to leave there with a different understanding of what the actual status of the law is. So if you don't have a good teacher who can put it in terms that cops will actually be able to, you know, like put themselves in those shoes and understand conceptually how it works, you're kind of out there just, I don't know, trying to figure it out as you go. And you have lawyers that then sit back and spend hours and hours and hours frame by frame looking at your body cam and trying to figure out what you did wrong so that they can sue you and your agency. And it it's brutal. But I guess to kind of make that point not so sad, if, like I said in the beginning, if you guys have good lawyers and you're literally doing your job and doing the best you can with what hand you've been given, there should be no problems. You shouldn't have to worry about jury instructions gone awry. Yeah, no, you shouldn't. I mean, that's that's the lawyer's job, right? And that's why I say talking to a lawyer before you write a report, before you give a statement, and obviously not on every call, but you know, if you take somebody into custody and their wrist breaks or there's some sort of minor fracture, 
you know, just as a result of being taken in the ground. And then now that's SBI and they've got to go to the hospital, like before you write your report, even if critical incident team's not called out, just talk to a lawyer to figure out what you have to articulate clearly. And that prevents so many problems, but most cops aren't going to just call a lawyer at 10 o'clock at night and say, Hey, will you read this report? And that, you know, breaks my little heart every day because that's what we love doing. And that's what actually prevents problems. Better call Saul. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> see, okay. So let me, let me tell you that I've had like a case where some, like I, I got alleged, like I broke somebody's ribs or I don't remember. It was a while ago. I was like brand new and it was night shift and I was really tired and something like that came up. And, and I got to be honest with you, never in a million years would I have thought, well, I need to fucking call a lawyer because I'm like, well, this was this was good. I mean, it's, it it happened, but I didn't do anything wrong. And I wrote my report and went to sleep, you know. Now, that yeah. was a different that was a different time. But I mean, just to be fair, to be objective about it, I, I don't know, man, unless you have that good union protection, you know, things cost money, too. I mean, you guys need to get paid. I think a lot of people would be like, well, I can't I can't call a lawyer every time can't call a lawyer every time I break somebody's wrist, you know, not that it happens. So, you know, shit like that happens. Um, but it's, a, I mean, especially these days, it's a, it's a fair point. Can I go well, on a rant? No, yeah. go ahead. You, you first. You first. So think about it this way. Like we're cop lawyers are not, we're never going to be like filthy rich because cops don't generally speaking have a ton of money. And so it's, we're not in this line of work just for the money. Now, obviously there's some attorneys that are like that, but when we get approved by unions and, you know, the national FOP, whoever it is that we're, that has approved these lawyers and these law firms, we're agreeing to take reduced rates just to have the opportunity to represent cops. So it's not like a lawyer, you know, a normal criminal who's paying a defense attorney by the hour to represent him could, you know, get him out of some you know, drug dealing or whatever on a technicality. A lot of us just legitimately have strong connections to law enforcement. Like I'm married to a cop, right? And I was a prosecutor for a long time. So I'm very law enforcement oriented anyways, but we do it because it's an important line of work. And we don't want to see you guys go through the stress and the anxiety of the legal stuff when we know that we can handle it. So yeah, you have a lawyer who's going to charge you $250 every time you want to have him read a report. Obviously, don't do that. That would not be probably a wise use of resources. But there are definitely good lawyers and law firms that work for these unions that just legitimately do it because we care. Now, I wanted to go a quick on a quick rant about articulation. And I don't want to take away from anything that you said. But fuck. I mean, I support cops. I was a cop. I probably will be a cop again because I'm a fucking idiot. But holy <laughs> fuck. Some people get into this job. And they cannot articulate themselves in reports. And it's like, holy shit, dude. Especially now, that's like 90% of your job yeah. is to fucking write reports, dude. If, if you don't like typing things out and you, and I, I get it, I can't enunciate words, but if you cannot articulate your actions, you are not going to have a good time. And it's bad in court too. Like I know some guys that are great cops. They can sniff things out. They can get bad guys, but when it fuck it, I re I read the reports. And I'm like, this is fucking horrendous. Like I wrote better pieces of literature in third grade. Like this is fucking awful. 
But like, where the fuck is the sergeant? The sergeant's supposed to be the one helping them get better at it. Now, you're okay, never... hold on a second though. Cop, a sar- what is a sergeant? He's just a cop. He's fucking stupid too. And I say this from a place of love, right? Uh, yeah. I say this from a place of love, but we know it's true, right? Yeah. And th- you know what? That's. I mean, I know it's the same structure with any job, but it's, you know, you you promote as a cop. Really, you just started out as a cop, and now. And I, I talked about this before, but you, you start supervising cops and you're like, well, they did something bad. So this is how I know how to deal with something bad. So you fucking treat them like a fucking criminal because that's never happened before. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm just kind of ranting about things now. But now you got to fucking please, for the sake of sake of everything, holy, learn how to fucking type a report. Just but how, are they, how, are they, how are they supposed to do that? There's prices out there. There's classes out there. No, take it upon yourself. And and I know it's like the shit they always told you in the academy is like you write this report and you have to you have to write it in a way that like everyone can understand it, not just fucking cops or people that were there. It's painting a picture. You got to fucking write that report like everyone there fucking knew what was going on. Can I go on? I'm going to go on some rants. Sorry, I apologize. Rant away. I my agency before. And I I didn't think anything of it, right? But it was uh it was a big deal, like when this happened. But when we used to do like a warrant arrest or something, it was just it was just a fucking piece of paper. I think I might still have one around because I thought it was cool. And you you fucking fill in this paper. We it was a paperless system except for this paper and a bunch of other papers. There was no nothing online. You typed in. You would just fucking fill out this paper form, which I know people are like, well, that's not a big deal. But there was no really information about how you came into contact with this person, right? It yeah. was just like, and then, I, and then we moved into a system where it was, uh, we'd actually do it on a computer, and then you know, a little narrative was was expected with it. And I thought to myself, "Holy shit, I get a warrant's a warrant. You rest on a warrant, but how are we not articulating how we came into contact with these people?" You know, like, and it's, I get it. It's a warrant. It's a, a little deal. It's sign on a judge. You don't have to articulate barely anything, but just little stuff like that. How are we not articulating? This is how I came legally into contact with this person. No, it's just a fucking, here's the sheet. I contacted this dude. He had a warrant and you fucking send it away and it was beautiful. And that was it. And just little stuff like that. Like I'm, we all know, like I'm fucking kind of big on this stuff, but just fuck articulate what you're doing. And I'm sure as a lawyer, when you have a cop that articulates themselves well and writes good reports, it makes your job a whole lot simpler, doesn't it? I mean, that's a that's a double-edged sword, right? Because if you have someone who's like not great at writing, then they're leaving out a ton of shit. And the impression is like they just put in there what they thought was important and not everything. But you have a cop who writes, you know, four pages on a warrantless arrest affidavit. And if there's information not in there, but there's a lot of other shit in there the implication is that he purposefully purposefully left out the details that don't appear while including a bunch of other shit that does. So again, I mean, lawyers are trained to argue. You put me on any side of a case and I'll figure out how to argue it. That's what I get paid for. But there's, you just, you're arguing. I can't believe this argument that came. I didn't even, it came out of left field. You're so good at arguing. Like how could we argue with good reports? But here it is. I mean, it's, I mean, it's true. And that it, that shit just comes from experience, right? You have some really terrible 
reports after a critical incident and now there's lawsuits coming and everyone's saying, you know, blah, blah, blah. But just because it's not in a report doesn't mean it didn't happen. But the way that the report describes something, that's probably more important than the actual details. If it's left out, then you can, you know, describe it later. But once you put it in writing and you say how something happened, that's how it happened and you should not be changing your mind. An interesting thing that's happened over the last couple of years is, is body cams. And there was a big fear from a lot of us because realistically, if you work at a busy police department, you are not going to be able to review your camera before writing every report. They said to do it there. You want us to go to calls or not? There's no way you could do it. Yeah, I would on some circumstances where I'm like, I want to just make sure I get this right. Um, but are you seeing that? And I know you, well, maybe, you know what? I'm overthinking my question. Are you seeing that where, you know, somebody will put something in a report and then the body camera is maybe just like a little different or it's, you know, cause that was the thing is we're not going to remember fucking everything. We never did even before body cameras. Is that coming into play where guys are getting hammered for the discrepancies between reports and body camera on minuscule I shit? Personal opinion, it should be different. I mean, uh, if it's identical to what the body cam is showing, and it's clear that you've watched the body cam, your report is nothing more than you just typing out like the summary of a movie or a TV show. Like it, it has nothing to do with your memory. But if the purpose of writing a report is to document your mental state, what was going through your head at the time, like what you felt was important, that information has nothing to do with what's actually captured on your body camera. So we, you know, we go to shootings all the time, right? And the cops all have body cams on and some agencies let uh, the officers watch their body cam prior to interviews and some don't. My personal preference, and again, I leave it up to the client, but I kind of explain this to them. I don't want them watching their fucking body camera before they walk into a shooting on a critical incident because there's going to be so much external information in there that they didn't remember happening and it fucks with them, right? Like they're I can't believe I don't remember that guy there, or that car there. And then they go down this spiral of what else am I wrong about? You know, blah, blah, blah. And so what matters during report writing or these interviews is what you remember and what your perceptions were at the time. And if you articulate that and then the body cam is different, obviously, you know, you go back later and write us up. I watched my body cam. I neglected to include this or I noticed this was different and I wanted to correct it. That's fine. We do that in critical incidents all the time. But if it's identical, like that's as a defense attorney, that would cause me, I would hammer that on cross. You know, and, and just to speak to that a little bit, I had a case that I'll, I'll call was very close to being a critical incident. And well, it was critical. It's critical enough. And when I went to testify in court about it, I watched, you know, my body camera prior and something happened in the, the video that I, and this is a, a case that sticks with me to this day. I had no recollection of this thing happening, even though it was very loud and the person saying it repeated it over and over again. And I was like, how the fuck is that not in the forefront of my memory? Yeah. And that, and that goes to show you and, and the the one problem with the body cameras is yeah it, it's quote unquote unbiased 
but uh, we only have so much bandwidth, right? We can only yeah. take in so much information at the time and our brain's going to dump what is not important to us at that moment. So you can get through, you know, what you're doing And that. That's the thing I don't think juries understand. Is that something you would talk to juries about with the body cameras and stuff? Yeah. I mean, obviously it depends on, it depends on the case, but the whole goal of presentation to a jury at trial is to try to put context to what it is they're seeing. And, you know, you have, cases all the time where the body cam timestamps are off from one cop to another and everyone thinks they're synced. And so you kind of look at it together and you think, oh, well, this guy, you know, obviously didn't perceive a threat. And looking at this other person's camera, three, there's a three second difference that can drastically change like the timeline of events for when shit actually happened. And juries need to be informed of that but obviously only if it's if it's important i mean the hardest part is the best way to put it in the context of your client or what the client was thinking at the time is to put the client on the witness stand all right that i want to talk about that a little bit because i'm curious for your take on it because i feel like there's different thought processes on putting your client on the witness stand i felt like very often in the criminal prosecutions that I was a part of and privy to watching a lot of the trial, very rarely did the defendant go on the stand where I feel like in most of the law enforcement trials I've seen, the cop almost always testifies, right? Yes, I would say that's true. And it hurts us when cops testify. It hurts because juries think that they're like, you know, they testify all the time and they've been trained to say what they want to say. And because they're justifying a shooting, they don't feel bad for killing somebody or because they're talking about their use of force. It, you know, they're trying to hide the fact that they were intentionally trying to harm this person. Like no good ever comes of it if there's any other possible way to start getting in your arguments through other people. Um, same. I mean, criminal defendants, obviously, you don't want them testifying for a number of reasons, you know, criminal histories, whatever. But I think the general expectation is that defendants don't testify. And when you put somebody on a stand, it immediately becomes a, do I like this person? Do I think he's bullshitting? And you would have 10 jurors who are finding different things about that guy's personality, quirks or whatever, and they all have different perceptions of it. And it's a no-win situation ever. You know, and it's fucking, it's funny because you always hear the jury instructions or especially when they're picking the jurors. I I think I called it famously something uh, incorrect a long time ago (laughs) on this podcast. But what is it like Void Dyer or Void Dyer? That's close. Um, Anyway, they talk about like, you know, just because the defendant doesn't, testify doesn't mean they're guilty and that's that's something i feel like is often repeated in that process but i i mean like as a layperson kind of watching this i'm like it kind of looks like they're guilty if they don't testify 100%. you know 100 percent. that's one of the first things you're telling your jury is like what do you think if my client doesn't testify they're all going to be like that dude's hiding something 100 percent. yeah it's i don't know it's just it's kind of a funny thing and i, I don't think you're going to get anybody that's if anybody honestly says no, I I get why they wouldn't testify. They're full of shit. I think you know, just looking at it objectively, like yeah, it looks bad if you don't testify. 
I mean, but by the end of the trial, think about it. You've seen, you're in a felony case, you've seen eight witnesses, and all of them have been, like, thoroughly cross-examined. Like, a lawyer's going to make eight people look like an idiot, and you're going to go, I wouldn't take this. I don't want to deal with that shit. Even if it's not, you know, like, a heated cross. Just That's lawyers true. are very good at manipulating the situation. And you can even... You take a juror in jury selection and you just start asking them a bunch of questions and making them explain themselves and kind of get them to feel that stress. And then all the other jurors are going to kind of instantly bond with the person who is under that stress. And then you use that in closing when you talk about why a client didn't testify. Look at that. Learning has occurred. I like that. Um, See, you should go to law school. You can work for me. You sure about that? Wait, are you wait, hold on a second. You offered me a job. Did I get the first job offer via poorly made police memes podcast? Uh yeah. Is that an official job offer? It is I will write you a letter and I will notarize it. Uh will you pay for my schooling? Uh that's a hard pass. Uh see, I think we'd have a deal. I would think about it then. I, I would love to be a lawyer. Yeah, I can't articulate to- things. It would be great. I love yelling and arguing at people. It's the best. It is the best. It's it's the best. Yeah. You'd Aren't be you good happy? at it. Are you, sh- are you sure about that? Yeah, you'd be good at it. You have a whole audience of people who listen to you and trust you. Even when you don't know what you're talking about, they listen to you and trust you. That's all it takes to be a lawyer. But I always know what I'm talking about because I'm always right. You Obviously. are always right. I'll give you that. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm wrong frequently. Well, um, you can't your own mind. <laughs> say what now? Rule number one of being a lawyer is like, don't flip flop and change your own mind. <laughs> oh, I do that all the time. Let's see. Yeah. I'm a classic. I'll tell you why I couldn't be. Well, I could put on a show. I could definitely put on a show. I think I could do that. Well, uh, but I'm a classic overthinker. I'd probably just fuck my clients. Not like physically, but like legally, because I'm yeah. I would overthink things. I think it wouldn't be good. That's the best lawyers, though. If you're not overthinking it, you're not doing your job because you got to figure out every alternative lawyer lenny that could be interesting it has a nice ring to it if three years from now three and a half years from now you could be okay. sitting right here next to me oh three and a half years sending all these colorado cops that just don't stand a chance against our stupid governor yeah, yeah. well happy here in iowa just saying all right we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back to the podcast oh hey there it's me. I just want to let you guys know about something. On my link tree, I have links to all your favorite poorly made things. I'm going to have a link specifically to the coins and patches with Ghost Patch, my merch with Spring, and a couple other things. We're going to have Fit Responder on there. We're going to have Officer Privacy on there. And of course, we're going to have RTI Training. If you're going to go sign up for class through RTI Training, use the link in my link tree. And it helps me out a little bit, and they know that I sent you. Check out my link tree for all things poorly made. I'll be updating it as new things come up. Going forward, the link should be on the description of every podcast. And, of course, uh, find it on my profile on Facebook and Instagram under Poorly Made Police Memes. Now, back to the podcast. Okay, are you ready for some uh, questions from the, the people? The people of Instagram have questions for you. I would love to answer them. Okay. So in fairness, uh, not all of them might be directly to what we're talking about. So we'll see what happens. 
The first question is, what legal documents should every cop have in place to protect themselves and their family? Is this like a quiz or a question? A question. It's not a quiz. It's not Jeopardy. A will. A will. What is a will, Alex? So (laughs) when the person dies, there's laws that say how your property gets distributed. If you want your property distributed in a different way, you can write a will or have, you know, properties subject to a trust and again, boring legal stuff, but you can actually dictate how you want property to be distributed. That's different than the way that the statutes say your property will get divided up if you don't otherwise specify. Is there anything like specifically to cops, like anything we should have in place? Yeah. All of you should have a trust. A hundred percent of you should have a trust. Even I don't if, know what like, that is. You talk to a property planning attorney, but like you should have reciprocal wills, right? You and your spouse or whoever. Powers of attorney that talk about who can make medical decisions or financial decisions if you're incapacitated or can't. Um, and all that stuff is very it's easy to prepare, but saves a lot of stress and a lot of you know, who has what decision-making power, mom or sister or wife, you know, if something happens to you guys on scene. A lot of people think, because they're not like rolling in the millions, that they don't need property or estate planning documents. But the reality is if something happens to you on shift and your family is left to try to kind of put the pieces back together, probate can take a very long time. So the court's got to figure out what's going where, who's entitled to it, you know, blah, blah, blah. But having documents in place that specify what's supposed to happen and who has what responsibilities speeds everything up like tenfold. And so the court process of dividing property can be done a lot faster if there's a document that says what you want to happen. So the post-it note on the fridge is probably not good enough. I should probably get something done. Ironically, post-it note on the fridge is good as long as there's an indication that you are actually the one that wrote it. Oh, okay. I'm going to make a post-it note on the fridge as my official will. Date it so too. This... Just... <laughs> All right. So this is a very vague question, but okay. have you ever dealt with an officer who didn't understand the law in a civil case? Yes. You got, a, you got a story you can share? Uh, well, I don't, I guess I don't understand. I don't understand the question. If you're talking about the, like a dispute between neighbors on scene, then no, because I don't deal with that kind of um, law. But if you're talking about cops who don't understand civil, the civil basis under which they get sued for on duty type conduct then yes i deal with that all the time i don't have an example i don't know how to give an example of that really well let's dive into that a little bit because colorado took qualified immunity away but then a couple paragraphs later they basically gave it back but just didn't call it qualified immunity which i know a lot of people are like oh qualified immunity is gone but then if you actually read it you're like no cops are cops still kind of have protection as long as they were in the right has I mean, has that bill because that was part SB 217 was a, a bill in Colorado right after the patron saint of fentanyl, which which <laughs> kind of made things 
interesting to be a cop. And that was one of the things was like the qualified immunity thing. Have you run into that at all with a new version of the qualified immunity? Uh, yes, I've run into it, but I can confidently say it has had very minimal impact on the way that policing is done in Colorado, if any. Uh, most agencies, you know, they're required to make certain findings in order for the that whole qualified immunity stuff to go away. And most agencies, they're just not making those findings. So really, yeah. it's cool. it never like that was the one thing that kind of cracked me up is like, oh, they took it away. But it's it's just right there. It's the same thing. They just called it something different. And they took they only took it away at the state level. But I mean, most of these civil lawsuits are happening at the federal level anyways. So, it Yeah. Cops should not be afraid of that if they live in Colorado. Okay. Well, one of the things specifically about 217, and I I don't really remember everything I was upset about, but it seemed like the use of force stuff was really kind of convoluted and confusing and purposely vague to get people in trouble. That I mm -hmm. know of, it really hasn't come into play yet specifically with 217 stuff. If that makes sense, have you seen anything where people are being jammed up on the the law okay. being changed or no? The I would say the bulk of the issues that we deal with are like failure to notify, right? So if you're gonna, I don't know, shoot someone and you don't yell out ahead of time, I'm gonna shoot you if you do. Oh God, yeah, I remember this. that. That was so yeah. stupid. But the practical reality is, as long as you can justify why you didn't have time to please drop, you know, I'm going to shoot you if you don't do this, then there's no difference in the way it was before, at least in my interpretation. So, and most of the time in those situations, it's pretty easy to explain why you're not telling the person you're going to shoot them ahead of time. And a lot of cops actually, I think just out of force of habit, yell that stuff anyway. Okay. Are you familiar with the film True Grit? No. Sounds okay. like a cowboy movie though. It's no. fucking fantastic. Okay, so I have to play this clip because now, like, the law has changed. You know, in Colorado, you have to announce before you shoot somebody. I never put this together, but I'm like, holy shit, this is what they want to happen before there's a OIS in Colorado. Are you ready for it? I'm so ready. Okay. This, by the way, this is the Jeff Bridges, the newer one. Sorry, the John Wayne one's good too. I've always wanted an excuse to play this clip on the podcast, so it's perfect. I'm so happy I could give you one. Farrell, I want you and your brother to stand clear. Doing well, doctor. I have no interest in you today. What is your intention, Rooster? You think one on four is a dog fall? <laughs> I mean to kill you in one minute, Ned. Or be a hang there it is. He made his notification. Which will you have? I call that bold talk for a one-eyed fat man. God damn, I love this movie. <laughs> so good. And there it is. He even told him, hey, you get your gun. It's time to go. All right, John Wayne is the leader in House Bill 217 out of Colorado. Or not John okay. Wayne, that was Jeff Bridges. Yeah. I'll go watch that movie tonight because I haven't seen it. I'm yeah, if you like Westerns, I think it's one of the best. You, you can't go wrong with the John Wayne one, or there was a newer version in 2010. It's fantastic. And now I had an excuse to play 
that clip. All right, moving on. Moving on. Moving on. What is something an officer should be looking for when they hire a lawyer to defend them in your types of cases? Uh, lawyers that there are, there are some lawyers that will just literally, if you're in an IA, for example, they will talk to you, I don't know, a couple minutes before the case starts, and then they'll just meet you down wherever the interview is. And the first interaction you're ever having with them is them just sitting next to you in an IA or in a critical incident interview. Like the lawyer's job should be preparing you for that interview and figuring out all the background and all the details and what's important, what's not important, so that you know what's going to happen going into that interview. If you have someone who's just showing up and sitting next to you and then afterwards telling you like, hey, call me when you know, you know, you hear back about what's going to happen. That's definitely not, that's not someone who's trying to prevent problems. That's someone who's waiting until problems surface so that they can, you know, appeal it to whoever and then charge a boatload of money for a mini trial. Look at that. Yeah. Um, okay. This, I think this could be the best question on here from Instagram because I'm super curious about this. Do you have any experience with an officer's cell phone being subpoenaed? Yes. Okay. Can you break that down a little bit for us? Because I'm, I don't know. I guess it's a crime. They subpoena cell phones, but the, I think that's a big fear. A lot of people have is, you know, all of us, I can tell you almost all of us share fucking memes that we should not share with anybody that we shouldn't laugh at. That shouldn't I'm be so made to hear that. <laughs> Say what? I'm so so surprised. Surprised. Yeah. Yeah. In what types of cases are you seeing cell phones from officers uh, being subpoenaed? So a lot of cops think that defense attorneys, like, I don't know, they're, they investigate some case, it's going to trial, and the defense attorney is going to start subpoenaing their cell phone. That's never going to happen. I haven't seen that in the 15 years I've been a lawyer, and I've, you know, I'm on the defense bar list serves, and nobody ever even talks about it. The, And I guess there's a, there, I should explain there's a distinction between your work cell phone right and your personal cell phone if your agency doesn't provide you with a work cell phone and so you've got your your personal cell phone and you're talking to people and calling i don't know rps and taking pictures of crime scenes on your personal cell phone it's like definitely not recommended but work cell phone wise that's a that's government property your town county city whoever if they're the ones paying that bill and it's their phone, they don't need a subpoena to access anything that's in those records because it's already their property. Same thing with looking at your, you know, your website history on a work computer. If, and most cops make the poor decision of bringing cell phones with them to like an, an IA interview, let's say they're accused of sexual harassment or something. And the complainant says, Hey, this guy was sending me inappropriate memes. If you have your cell phone in the IA room with you and the IA investigator asks to see it or says, oh, do you still have those text messages or that text chain? You're going to end up in a very awkward situation where you say either yes, here, look at it. And now the guy's got complete access to your entire phone or no, you can't see it. And then a department order is going to come down or a subpoena could be issued if there's any sort of criminal allegations associated with it.
But generally speaking, an agency is not going to subpoena and can't subpoena records on your personal cell phone to use in an administrative case. So the only kind of issue you'd have to worry about is if you're being investigated criminally and there's something on that phone that will um, assist them in their investigation. But that's pretty rare. So let's say you have a, you're in like a use of force type thing in OIS, whatever, mm -hmm. but has nothing to do with your cell phone at all. Is that something you'd have to be concerned about? No. Okay. Because they'd have to have a reason to get into your cell phone. Yeah. Now, if you're seeing, if somebody sees you on scene taking pictures of the dead guy, right, and putting your phone back in your pocket, now you've given them a reason to write a search warrant to see what's on your phone and what you've been documenting. But if it's just a standard personal cell phone and the department has nothing to do with it and you're just doing your job, um, even if memes are going back and forth or whatever, nobody's going to get access to that because there's no nexus between a criminal investigation into your conduct and your actual cell phone. I gotcha. Okay, so what we've learned is uh, unrelated to the cell phone, you don't have to worry about it. Some kind of allegation with a cell phone, if it's a crime, potentially they could subpoena it. If it's like a policy violation, they're probably not going to be able to get access to your phone. No, right? they won't because the, the scope of an internal affairs investigation is to see like how your your duties are impacted, right? So it's limited to your ability to perform your job, not just investigate into your personal life and how many you know practice wives you have and all that. <laughs> yes, practice wives. That's what they they will be called. Yeah, I, I know there's a lot of fear with a lot of people. And maybe you can talk to this a little bit. This is unrelated, but kind of related. But, you know, I've heard of cases where departments get a hold of cell phones. And I guess I never knew the backstory on them. And then a ton of people end up getting in trouble because, you know, they're sharing shit that they shouldn't. Well, I'm going to not I'm going to say you shouldn't share. You should be able to fucking laugh at shit. It's fucking America. But they're sharing stuff and it becomes, you know, the the careless driving of IA investigations. It becomes a conduct unbecoming. Um, So that shit happens. But have you seen a case where like I had somebody write in not too long ago and said, hey, I'm afraid to like shit on Facebook and Instagram because if somebody says, oh, I saw that you liked this thing and it's somewhat controversial, then potentially you could have an issue on your hands as far as administratively with your department. Have you seen that type of stuff where people are liking Facebook or Instagram posts or TikTok or whatever and getting in trouble for it? So here in Aurora, going back to the Elijah McClain thing, there were a bunch of cops that were on like a group chat and some of them took photographs of themselves at the scene where Elijah McClain was um, taken into custody or all smiling and like, you know, took a picture together and then sent out in the group chat and somebody commented, haha, or, you know, liked it or whatever. And that, that person ended up getting into trouble because somebody in that group chat like reported the entire thread to their, their agency. But generally speaking, I don't, I mean, I would say we've probably had maybe five cases like that in the past 10 years. Like as long not as you're not, 
yeah, as long as you're not stupid about it and you're not in a group chat with your sergeant and, you know, a bunch of brand new female, you know, cadets who are flirting with you and trying to get you in trouble, like you should be fine. <laughs> okay. Well, and it's like, I saw where this guy's question was coming from. Um, because, and by the way, that the pitcher thing out of Aurora, I've heard of that. It's fucking stupid. What are you guys doing? But the, uh, the thing, you know, he's talking about, like, there was like a NASCAR driver that had liked a meme that was making fun of George Floyd. And, you know, apparently he like his sponsors left him and shit. And so he wondered if I would like a meme like that, you know, would I, I get fired? And I had a, a, a assistant chief of a, a police department on that podcast. He's like, well, you'd probably get disciplined at my department for it. And it's, it's kind of an interesting first amendment issue. Like you got the, the conduct unbecoming thing. You also have like, Hey, I'm allowed to laugh at fucked up shit thing. It's, it's kind of a weird dynamic. Well, yeah, but if you're liking it from an account that has your full name on it, right. And you've got pictures of yourself in uniform, even though you're covering your badge, that's a little bit different than your, some random account with a fake name that nobody can, you know, tie you to, at least in, in my opinion. Um, but if, your department is going that deep into what you are doing and what you're liking and what you're watching and who you follow. You've done something else to piss them off that has caused them to start investigating you. Meanwhile, their friends can do whatever they want. Ask me how I know. <laughs> Allegedly. Um, Allegedly. Hey, what's your, this is a good question too. What's your opinion on the Laverne PD scandal? I don't have any idea what you're talking about. Laverne you, PD? Oh, my God. You have to know. The, the chick that was, like, banging her whole department in Tennessee. Oh. See, yeah. I hear things in passing, but, again, I don't pay attention to the news. Um, I mean, bang whoever you want. Just not on duty, right? I mean, yeah. Silence. There was silence there. <laughs> She's saying it's okay to fuck on duty. You heard it here first. Yeah. On duty booty is approved via the lawyer. <laughs> yeah. See? Sign stamped and approved. That's the worst advice you've given so far. Don't do it. Don't do it, kids. She's gonna steal your pension. Not you. I'm not I'm not saying you. I'm just saying be smart. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just trying to generate some client base. Maybe. You know what? Yeah, yeah. that's that's easy money. Yeah, that's that's a whole <laughs> mess of a thing they're all suing each other it's it's a train wreck yeah by the way what's we've gotten so many phone calls lately with cops just like pissed at their agencies and wanting to sue everybody which three years ago that never happened i feel like there's been a switch in cop mentality of like everyone else is suing everyone i might as well jump on that bandwagon what do you think about that that's interesting i can think of one person that i've talked to that oh that reminds me i need to talk i need to try to get another guy on the podcast but i had one guy send me a message which i'm like man he should sue his department and then he he talked to me later and he's like nah I, my a lawyer said that's a right to work state i don't have a case but i know one guy that is having an issue and he you know i guess that's crossed his mind but i don't know um I guess I've been out of it for like two years, so maybe I'm not seeing it. But I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I 
are the let me ask you are these like viable cases or is this just like dude your department sucks like you're not gonna win yeah my sergeant's an asshole or i didn't get um i didn't get approved to go to this training or i didn't get promoted to whatever i didn't get this shift assignment it's like I mean, it always kind of comes on the tail end of a, a different issue, but like the end res- the end question is, and once we deal with this other issue that, you know, I need your help on, I want to sue them because they've put me through all this stuff. And I'm like, just because your boss is an asshole doesn't mean you are going to win a lawsuit. But I get it because you're seeing all these people get millions of dollars and, you know, all these settlements in the news. So maybe that's where it's coming from. You know what I would like to see? happen is like somebody shoots a cop and gets convicted that we can start civiling civilly suing these shit bags not that we're going to get anything out of it but i mean like it's like it's like the ghetto lottery right like you know you get shot you gotta sue a cop well what if you know what if we rightfully you know somebody gets shot and they have some money i think we should fucking sue them do you think that would go anywhere emotional damage i will volunteer to do it yeah, fucking emotional damage. I mean, this fucking asshole shot me. Fuck these people. Yeah, I'm on board. I don't know. I I think uh, it'd be uh, it'd be a pretty quick lawsuit because you're gonna file it. You're gonna ask for money. No one's ever gonna show up to court. The judge will enter judgment in your favor, and then you'll have this judgment you can't collect on, or you get two dollars a year for the rest of your life. Hey, two bucks is enough for a lot of ticket. That's a win, still. This is kind of a funny question. Um. When a cop does dumb shit, do you cringe or do you get a massive chub, which, I mean, I'm not assuming your gender, but we're assuming your gender, at the legal fees coming in? I don't make that much money from the legal fees. I mean, like, I I don't know. I hate being I know you news. said that. I know you said that earlier, but I thought the question was funny enough to ask, I thought. I hate being in the news, so it, it's one of those, like, it's cringeworthy because I know it's coming down the pipeline and all the bullshit that comes from the plaintiff's lawyers and the agency and all that, so. Well, so, that's uh, something I try to tell people, too, is if you read a lawsuit, the lawsuit is just, like, fucking shit a lawyer typed up. They're not facts. Yeah. I mean, it's not, like, it's not necessarily true. A lawsuit is not a fucking a legal document that is quote unquote true. I'm sure they put in it and they sign an affidavit it's whatever is signed to their best of the knowledge. But I'm sure people fucking fluff shit in lawsuits all the time. All the time. And then it never comes in court it comes out as that didn't happen. Yep, hundred percent. Because you the lawyer talks to the client who says I was brutally beaten and assaulted and you know now I can't walk, blah blah blah. And so the lawyer just starts types up the document, files it with the court, and then you don't even find out till when you start getting discovery that your client's a liar. And, but yeah, by that point, you're six months into it. So I, I don't know. I, I, I wonder if this question came from somebody that doesn't like police. But the question was, is how many times do you get them off? Uh, which could be perceived a different way, too. But we're not going to do that podcast today. <laughs> no. Poor, poor uh, language skills on that one. But how are not to put you on the spot here though, but are you, you feel like you're pretty successful defending cops for the most part? Yes, I am. When I listen to your podcast, like I said, I'm undefeated in the last year. Well, if you're defending some of the people I know about, it's going to go down, but maybe, maybe you'll luck out and you'll listen to the podcast on the way in and it'll be great. 
I will say that like the cases that are appropriate to resolve ahead of time where they just need to fall on their sword, they know they fucked up. There's no point in delaying it and kind of arguing technicalities. Those cases don't go to trial. The cases that go to trial are the ones where the charges don't fit, where there's not enough evidence, where the witnesses aren't you know, supporting what the DA is saying, those cases are the ones that go to trial and those are the ones that we win. You know, and that, I, I didn't articulate myself well earlier, but that was kind of the, the thing I was trying to get to is like me personally, and I'm obviously not here to give you legal advice, but I, I think there is, um, you have to live with yourself too. You know, like I know, and this is just me and I'm not trying to make myself seem like I'm this great person because I'm clearly not, but if I had something where I fucked up and it went, you know, I, I ended up getting charged. I would like to think that I would just fucking be a man on my mistakes and move on. And like, you know, like I, I just, I know me, like if I got off on something, wait, let me rephrase that. Cause that sounded bad. <laughs> if I was found innocent of something that I did me personally, I'd fucking feel bad about that. It wouldn't be a great feeling. I mean, that feeling at the end of any trial, even if you win, sucks, right? Because for the client, if you, you're found guilty, it sucks that you went through all that and you're still guilty. You're found not guilty. You're pissed that you had to go through that entire process and deal with it the past year and all the bullshit and the allegations. Like, there's no, no client I've ever had is just happy at the end of a trial that it went away. I hear that. Hey, you know what? There's another high-profile case that I should have asked you about. Rittenhouse. How do you even get fucking charged? I don't know. That I can't answer. That was a good trial. Lots of good memes came out of that one. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) Uh, We're going to get to my dumb questions soon, but I got a few more questions I wanted to get to. I don't know if you can say this, but what is the most outrageous accusation against a cop that you had to defend? Oh my goodness. I get a lot, we get a lot of sexual harassment complaints, like just completely. There's literally nothing there. Some person randomly passes somebody in the Academy and the person in the Academy decides it was sexual harassment. I mean, we get a lot of those ironically, but I can't really comment in detail on some of the other ones. I, I understand. There's a lot of very dumb ones. We've right. had we've had cops who are who get in trouble, who get IA notices, and they have to go through an IA investigation when they weren't even fucking on duty on the day that that like incident happened. And we call ahead of time. We're like, they weren't on duty. We have the shift schedule, and they still make them go through the fucking process anyway. Yeah, IA is fucking ridiculous. Sometimes. I mean, I get it. I get it. You know, we can't just be out there running amok and there has to be some safeguards in place. But I mean, some of the shit's just ridiculous. Like I, I got handed an award once for something I didn't do. I was like, yeah, I wasn't there. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, I, I wasn't there. He's like, oh, this one's yours. And OK, thanks, boss. Yeah. Put that in my personal file, please. What is this is where we're going to end on the Instagram questions and then we're going to get into my dumb stuff. What is what are the worst things to say on body cam? Um, 
the worst things to say on body cam. If you ever say like this thing's on, that's bad. Because then the implication is like, hey, everybody shut up. This is recording. So like something would have been. <laughs> we used I to have know. when the body cameras first came out, there was a hand signal. Yeah. Yeah. You're pointing to it like in a fury. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing I would say is like jokes or like smiles or smirks after something super serious has happened because that's what makes lawsuits worth a bunch of money. Even though they're funny, that is not the <laughs> time to laugh. Mute that shit and make sure everybody else isn't muted too because I've had a number of times where six people are sitting there bullshitting and five of them have it muted and one person doesn't and then you're fucked. Yeah, that is another downfall of uh, body cameras is there's some private conversations that became public for sure. Yes. Yeah. Okay, before I get to my dumb questions, is there anything that I didn't ask about or something we need to talk about that the millions and millions of people need to know about? Did I miss uh, anything? I want to make sure we hit all the highlights. You did not miss anything. Okay. I mean, I'm sure I did. I'm every time I edit a podcast, I'm like, son of a bitch, you dumb fucker. You should have asked this here. <laughs> and it it'll indefinitely it, it was it will definitely happen here without fail. Okay. So my dumb questions are gonna be a little different because obviously you are a lawyer and not a cop, but I think we can make most of them fit. Okay. Oh, here's a fun one. Do you think weed should be legal? I mean, it already is where you live, but do you think it should be legal? Um, yeah. Do you think cops should be able to use it off duty? No. Why? Because it, uh, weed smokers are idiots. <laughs> <laughs> oh, drugs are bad and good. Yeah, it, it affects your memory. It affects your, you know, attention span, your ability to react quickly. That's yeah. I would not recommend that. But but the alcohol, I mean, alcohol doesn't help, right? That's true, but alcohol goes away. I mean, it's not in your system for as long. You know, I guess the thing is, is if we think about this logically, I mean, yeah, we have a term for people that drink alcohol all the time as an alcoholic, right? But that they they have to drink alcohol to function. A stoner, you know, that's an affectionate term that's been around for a long time. But like... When you think of a stoner, you don't think of a bright-eyed, bushy-tail, go-getter. You think of a dumb guy who everybody kind of likes. He kind of always has a beanie on no matter the temperature. Maybe yeah. playing hacky sack. Always has Funyuns. Not very Lives bright. Yeah, exactly. Lives in Boulder, the People's Republic of Boulder. Yes, yes, obviously. Okay. Would you do it again? Would you have gone to law school? Would you have become a cop lawyer or do you wish all those years ago you would have done something else with your history degree <laughs> i 100 percent would do it again what are you going to do when you retire uh, i don't know that's a very long time away take naps hang out on a boat probably my husband's a pilot so we'll fly around and travel the world good that's good that's, I mean, that's a pretty fucking good one right there. Everybody says travel. Not everybody's fucking married to a pilot. I know. Well, the problem is I own this law firm, right? And so there's so much shit happening all the time. I have free, I can take free trips anywhere and I just can't leave because shit's going on. 
Well, yeah, your phone's rang like 87 times during the podcast. So I'm like, shit, these poor cops need defense. And here I am asking stupid questions. That was my watch. I did silence my phone. I'm just an idiot and I don't know how to turn my watch off. What is so the please- dumbest what is the dumbest thing you did as a rookie lawyer? Oh my god. My first trial. I didn't take trial advocacy in law school. I knew nothing about it. I didn't watch trials on TV. Like I literally just went in as a DA one day and just tried it and I had no idea what the fuck I was doing. And it was a harassment DV case. And my I had the victim and she must she must have been on the stand for like probably a generous estimate four minutes because I didn't even I asked her what her name was and where she worked and then I said tell me what happened and then I was like all right nothing further sat down and that was like my entire case and I was shocked when the jury came back not guilty in like 30 seconds but it was so embarrassing that I learned from that and I made sure to never ever feel like that again at the end but that was I'm sure my judge still talks about that. It was really, really, really bad. It's kind of crazy that the uh, the DA would let you kind of go out there as a rookie like that, not have you, you know, maybe sit advisory and do some of that stuff. They just kind of set you out and said, good luck, kid. I mean, yeah. But it's one of those things, too, where, like, your first thing about your first day out of FTO, you're kind of like deer in headlights. So you could sit and watch somebody else do it. It's just, it's never, ever the same. That's true. That's true. Okay. So I have to, I don't know if this is going to work. This question is going to work and it's a new question. You probably never heard before, even though you're a regular listener. I, I've been asking guys and gals if they have a good dildo story on a call. I I presume in the, in the legal world, in a courtroom, you probably don't have a great dildo story. think i do well do let I me change it? it yeah what is the funniest thing you've seen happen in a courtroom you got a good courtroom hijinks story oh my god no what no shenanigans i don't think so i i mean like lawyers are not we're not funny or amusing people i mean aside from the random inmate yelling at the judge and getting taken into custody like nothing cool happens at our work you guys have the cool job we just get to look at it after the fact all right and then you probably don't have a dead guy story then either you do have a dead guy story but it's very average at best well let's hear it so very first time i went on a ride along we that we were i don't know some dead guy doing drugs in an apartment and his friend found him very smelly, obviously, gassy, bloated. And they put him on a um, one of those stretchers to take him down to the coroner's van. And, like, literally, the fucking dude fell off this stretcher and <laughs> fell down two staircases. <laughs> I was probably a uh, – I've been a prosecutor maybe for a year or a year and a half, and I was, like, terrified because I'm like, this dude's going to have broken ribs. It's going to be a whole thing. It's going to turn into investigation, but – and the cops were, I was like, what happens now? And they were like, it'll be fine. I was just like, okay. <laughs> That's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's not funny, but it's so funny. Yeah. I was, it was very, I was like, well, it's a lot different than I thought it would be. God, that's so great. I never experienced, 
You know, there were definitely some close calls where you're like, oh, that guy is not staying. Because they bring the rinky-dink fucking stretchers. They don't bring, like, a big old fucking stretcher. Yeah. They have, like, the stretchers that you would imagine out of an ambulance from, like, the mm-hmm. 60s, you know? Like, they're still in service, but the fucking body snatchers have them. They're little. And when you have a big motherfucker on there, you're like, oh, this is yeah, not going to go well. But I've never seen him drop one yet. So ironing board. Yeah, he went. I mean, it was a lot of stairs, too. It was a long way down. What is something you wish they would have told you in law school, but you learned out you learned the hard way in the mean courtrooms of Colorado? That fucking men and women will answer questions so differently that you could ask you have a male witness and a female witness to the exact same crime and you can ask them the exact same question. And the dude will literally just literally just answer your question. Like, were you there that day? Yep. And then the female, you ask the female a question, and she's like trying to anticipate seven questions down the road. And so she's giving you answers to shit that you haven't even asked yet. Interesting. Like, I, I thought cops, do you see cops do that? Because I feel like cops do that a lot on the stand too. And cops do that when they're trying to, they think they're like being helpful and it'll go faster if they provide more information on the front end, which never works. But it's mostly women, honestly. Interesting. I have some thoughts on that, but I'm not going to be sexist right now. No. Well, maybe later. Maybe later. <laughs> what is the proudest moment of your career? Proudest moment of my career. I was named prosecutor of the year back when I was a DA. That was a pretty big deal for me. Even after that DV case yeah. that you goat fucked? Holy shit. I mean, you, you start that out to anybody. You start terrible and you got to fucking make up for it. So you end up even. That's pretty impre- fucking impressive. Do you get like a nice plaque for that? You do have a nice little plaque. I don't know where it is. It's somewhere. Oh my God. You don't even know where it is. It didn't mean that much to you. You just have it. You got so many trophies laying around that you don't even care about prosecutor of the year. huh? I mean, do you give a shit about anybody else's trophies? No, no. You know what? That is an excellent point. Nobody cares. (laughs) Nobody fucking cares. Not a soul fucking cares. Oh, you're cool. Prosecutor of the year. Nice trophy. (laughs) Uh, I actually have a meme war champion of 2020. Uh, from a meme war i'm looking at it right now and i'm sure everybody's wow. super proud of that so yeah you should put a 3d you know those 3d pictures on facebook you should do that just like, i don't know what that is you know you take a picture and then it's some effect on facebook you can make it 3d and it kind of moves a little bit this is just a meme it. page i don't know what that how that is i don't know how that mm-hmm. works well that's why you should grace us with your badge of honor you know, never mind. I'm not going to complain about something free, but it has it came with a dent in it. But I'm like, you know what? It's free. I'm not going to complain. It's cool. This is America. You can complain for anything. No! You lawyers think we can complain and sue about everything. Sometimes life just hands you a fucking lemon and you gotta drink lemonade. Just deal with it. Yeah, that's true. Priorities. Okay. The next question has to deal with ghosts and aliens. Do you have any ghost stories or alien stories that you'd like to share with the millions of listeners? Um, no, I do, but we'll have to talk about it afterwards. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. All right, I know you weren't a cop, but 
do you have any thoughts on what the best patrol car of all time is? Crown Vic. Thank you. Okay, now you know it's coming. I do. And no one, you gave all this great information out, but no one's going to take you seriously if you're a fucking liar. Have you ever shit your pants? I don't know a single person who hasn't. Holy shit. I am fucking shocked. I thought for sure you were going to be a no. Because chicks don't talk about that. Chicks won't admit that shit. I think you're the first chick on the podcast. I could be wrong to admit they shit their pants. I know. I know. Then there's liars. Anyone who's ever been to college and had a very long drunken night and woken up in some shenanigans knows exactly how that feels. Is that your story? I've had a lot of people with that same college story. Really? I feel like three or four people have been like, oh, yeah, I blacked out in college and woke up and I shit myself. I mean, that's, yeah. I don't, it's not like on a typical Tuesday, that's something that just creeps up on you, but college, yeah. College, that'll do it. College will do it. Wow. I'm so impressed. Now you're the, the, everybody's going to believe you. You should put that uh, on your business cards. I shit my pants. I'm not putting that on my business card. I shit my pants. And people are like, hey, she's serious. She tells the truth. She's going to be honest with me about my chances. I I mean, if I if I found a lawyer and that was on their cards, I shit my pants. I'd be like, all right, this is the one. They're yeah. going to tell the truth. They're going to defend me the right way. The shit that I see every day, that's pretty low on the totem pole. Well, we've come to the conclusion of this very poorly made podcast. Do you have any words of wisdom for all the millions and billions of listeners out there? Um, keep supporting this dude so that I can keep getting my not guilties on my trials because you're my lo- good luck charm. Yeah, I like See? that. Yeah. Very well, important. Yeah, it's super important. And... I just want you to know if you lose, it's not my fault. Okay. I can't win them all. Like, you know, Pete Rose is one of the greatest hitters of all time. And, you know, he only hit like around 400. That's still getting out 60% of the time. So just so keep do you that want in to mind. Know ahead of time? Do you want to know ahead of time when I have trials so you know how good your episode has to be? Or you want me to just tell you after the fact? Okay. Here's the thing I have no control on how good my episode is. Actually, I, I do. I'm, I'm blaming other people. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's just sometimes they're great. Sometimes they're good. That's not true. I, I haven't listened. Like, I'm always super hypercritical when I'm listening to it or like when I'm doing them. I'm like, fuck, I'm not because I want it to be entertaining. Right. But it's one of those things. If you try too hard, then I think then everybody can see that you try too hard. I just let it happen. Whatever yeah. fucking happens, happens. And I'm not responsible for my own actions. If it's great, it's great. And if it's bad, it's your fault. It's good. It's always good. <laughs> I'm I'm great. I know ever I know the first thing about being great. I'm the greatest there ever was. <laughs> Trust me. I am great. It's the best podcast. And I know podcasts. I've been doing them for a whole two years. That's a terrible <laughs> Trump impression, by the way. It's not very good at all. It's funny though. <laughs> well, you guys know what to do. If you guys want to continue to hear shitty podcasts like she does, and if you want people, innocent cops to be found innocent, you heard her. I have to continue to do these. So take care of the fine sponsors of the podcast. And remember, if I got that little link at the very end. You can click on that and you can be a monthly donor. And it 
honestly, it helps a lot, you know, keep the lights on and feed my kids more than ramen noodles. Obviously, make sure uh, you're taking care of your buddies out there. There's a lot of GoFundMe's going around. I, I just shared one the other day. Um, they had a wildfire out in Maui. A bunch of cops lost their homes. Bad shit's going on. So make sure we're taking each other, care of each other first. But when you're done with that, you, you give some money to your favorite meme lord here, and I'll keep making some shitty podcasts. With that said, remember, what's the most important lesson here? The only way you can trust the lawyer is if they admit they shit their pants. That's and I love most it. of you. I'm now that that those are my fault. If they're good, I did good, but I, I fucked those up a lot of times. I'm very proud of that one. <laughs> and I love most of you. Bye bye.